日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へレッツゴー Hey everybody welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast This is Chris And、uh, a few months ago, I talked with Nate about various aspects of getting into a PhD program. I think that was about March or so. Maybe about three to five episodes ago. I don't remember exactly. But this time around, I'm talking to Mike Baker, who developed and taught a Japanese history class at Worcester State University. I thought it'd be interesting to see things from the other point of view. We got the student side, and now we'll get the professor side. And、uh, Mike's been around the various incarnations of the、uh, Samurai Archives Forum for about 18 years. So, known him for quite a while. So, this should be an interesting episode. And、uh, speaking of the forum, if you want to check it out,、uh, you can head over to our newest version, which was、uh, established in 2015. This is, I think, the third incarnation of the forum, actually. But anyway, head over to forums.samurai archives.com, or probably easier to just go to japanhistoryforum.com. They both lead to the same place, so either one is fine. And if you want to support the podcast, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash samurai archives. All right, and with that, let's start the show. Thanks for being here today.、Uh, thank you for having me.、Uh, you know, I, I followed the podcast since the beginning,、um, you know, followed the samurai archives for a really long time. So it's always good to contribute to、uh, this. Yeah, I think you've been around the forums for almost forever. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about it. I, I've been around at least、uh, since Henrietta and the you know, in, cellar. In the、uh, fruit cellar. <laughs> yeah, I've been around at least, at least turn of the century. Because、uh, I think it was late 1999, early 2000 that I came on board.、Mm, yeah.、Uh, yeah it's, been, it's been a long time. Yeah.、Uh, Delphi forums,、uh, yeah, we had the Delphi forum way back. I think that was from like, that was like 1998, 1999, something like that. So I definitely remember that trying to do the illustrations using just、uh, like the ASCII. All right. <laughs> Things have advanced. And、um, so, well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into our, our talk in a second, but why don't you、uh, just kind of give yourself give an introduction here? Okay.、Uh, Yeah, because、uh, my name's Mike Baker. People probably know me on the Samurai Archives as Micro Art. You know, I'm an adjunct instructor of history at Worcester State University in Worcester, Massachusetts, my alma mater,、um, where I teach U.S. and World Civ and I, I teach government.、Um, I'm also a military historian who created and taught a class. On pre modern Japan,、um, which was very well received、uh, by both students and、uh, faculty. So、um, I would say I was、uh, a contributor to the Samurai Archives、uh, you know, since 1999,、uh, both for editorials, and I, I've been asked to be a guest judge on the Samurai、uh, Fiction Story Contest、uh, every year. Yeah, which I haven't,、uh, haven't done this year. I guess、uh, I'm kind of behind, but <laughs> I guess we'll figure that out.、Um, yeah, and the reason I, another reason I, or the reason I wanted to have you on is because a few months ago we had、uh, Nate, Nate and I were talking, and he, you know, he's in a PhD program at Princeton, and he kind of was talking about the, the view from the student's point of view, where getting into the program, and also、um, you know, the second part of the episode is basically him talking about what he does as a student. So, I thought it'd be interesting to have you on as,、uh, you know, from the other side, as a, as a teacher, basically teaching the teaching side of things. And since you basically put together the program yourself, as, my, as I understand it,、uh, I think you, you'd be a pretty good resource for that. Oh, yeah. And I mean,、uh, you know, thank you for taking an interest in it. And、um, it's definitely see, interesting seeing how the other half lives.、Um, because here at the university,、uh, again, it's my alma mater. Uh, a lot of my peers, a lot of my mentors have now turned into co workers. And so I'm working alongside all the professors that I learned from.、Uh, so it's just kind of an interesting, like I said, see how the other half lives. Yeah. So how did you,、uh, how did you find yourself in the position of、uh, 
putting together a uh, an East or a Japanese history program? Um, I mean, it was really interesting because I was in my last semester of graduate school, um, and the department chair at the time, who had uh, just recently retired, you know, asked if I could teach uh, a U.S. course, uh, U.S. History One, which is really, honestly, my background in terms of degrees. Uh, I did, you know, my thesis on the American Civil War and, and sort of New England's involvement in that. That, that was my background. Uh, and I told them that I had interest in teaching this class, a pre-modern um, Japanese class, uh, because that was a secondary interest of mine. I mean, from my work with the samurai archives, definitely helped bolster that. Uh, my work I did in my undergraduate degree, and, you know, I, I brought this idea up to him. I gave him, a, you know, a curriculum vitae to say, you know, I know what I'm talking about. Because, uh, you know, uh, what is it? We were game testing uh, Kachumade. All right. Uh, I added it in there. Yeah. So I added all this stuff, and he thought it was a wonderful idea that, you know, we should uh, teach this because students were not getting uh, a, a lot of this. For them, uh, because like I said, we didn't have an East East Asian um, professor for uh, a little while, almost two years, uh, and so there was a sort of a gap in what's being taught. And so I offered it, and you know, to my surprise, he okayed it. That I was able to teach this uh, history of Japan prehistory to like 1600, and so I'm like, awesome, that's great. But now I got to create this class from scratch. So you basically had to build it from the bottom up: syllabus, books, book reading list, everything. Uh, movie list. Uh, I had to come up with sort of pedagogy, like how are we going to learn this? What should the students learn? Um, you know, not just information, but how to learn about Japanese history. Yeah, and I uh, I was offered the job in May. I had till like September to do this. Wow. So, so, yeah, you know, putting that amount of you know, pressure on you. Um, so, you know, where to begin? Because, you know, as you know, there's a number of resources uh, in Japanese history. So which ones can you use that would uh, get your students would get the most out of it? And so that was the first step is designing the syllabus. What areas are we going to cover? How are we going to cover it? And then coming up with books. Um, that's probably the hardest part because, you know, there, there's some resources uh, resources out there. And you know there's some better than the others. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, totally. And that's sort of the discussion we've been having on the archive since 98, I guess, 99. So and I'm going to assume so, you didn't assign giving up the gun as one of your required readings. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say that uh, the no parent episode of the podcast was a required listen. Nice. Um, I, I think that was the one you were talking about, Oda Nobunaga. And uh, definitely we brought Nobunaga up. And it's like, no, you got to listen to this episode. Uh, Stephen Turnbull didn't make the cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, no parent. Uh, Stephen Hayes, obviously. So uh, the two major texts, though, um, William Wayne uh, Ferris is uh, Japan to 1600, uh, Social and Economic History. That uh, was one of the main texts. And then um, Carl Friday's uh, Japan Emerging, uh, Pre-Modern History to um, 1850, which I think was either recommended by you or Emilio, if I remember correctly, because... And that was the old archives before, uh, right after Delphi, but before the new one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I pulled some stuff from uh, Thomas Conlon, um, some articles from him. Uh, Gina Barnes was really helpful. I have a number of her articles. Um, I believe we're connected on uh, academia.edu, um, sort of the Facebook for academics. Right, right. And... Uh, so those were a lot of where I pulled from. You know, the Samurai Archives podcast, I used those. Um, you know, Anthony Bryant, of course, made it because um, my, uh, 
know, I'm a Muromachi type of guy. I'm not Hayden, period. So I had to pull a lot from uh, Anthony Bryant. And so they got really, I was picking who is the top of their game in Japanese history. Like if you had to be deserted on an island with Japanese history books, who would you want? And, and that's what I was going for, you know. And, of course, uh, the other part, too, is I wanted it to be sort of a multimedia uh, feeling, so I had to pick movies, too. And movies that would get students interested into the material that would be visually re relevant and the story would be uh, relevant. And so, uh, you know, Kagamusha definitely was my pick because uh, I set that up for when we were going to talk about the Sengoku Jidai. You know, I picked Kagamusha. And then uh, for Hain period, and here's a pretty eerie, like, uh, you know, story. Um, so it was right after, uh, you know, Tony passed away that I was putting up this class. And I was kind of just Googling uh, Hain period movies. And I found this uh, other uh, sort of thread on some other discussion board. And it was, uh, you know, Tony talking about Gates of Hell and, you know, saying how great it is and, you know, the things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go with that one. So, uh, yeah, the students had to watch with, uh, you know, the subtitles, Gates of Hell and then uh, Kagamusha later on. So uh, they were getting that visual Japanese cinema and, you know, show of hands, not, uh, I don't think any of them saw Akira Kurosawa, you know, before that. And, and that's a challenge too, as a professor, how do you get them uh, excited for this material? How do you get them to appreciate it? And, you know, you got to do that with the reading, you got to do it with the videos uh, and you got to do it with the lectures. So now also it's May, I have to create lectures from scratch basically, you know, create PowerPoints and lectures. And, and that can be challenging because it's a hour and 15 minute class two times a week. You know, uh, how, how can you set the pace for that and how can you make it exciting? Um, which I, I will argue, uh, I think I succeeded in that at least. I was able to do that. And usually that comes through assessment, uh, especially towards the end. Uh, yeah, we're always, uh, the students assess us at the right. end. Um, they came out pretty positive, I think. So, um, in terms of, yeah, the creation of the class, I think it did its uh, job uh, in the end. So, how many uh, semesters have you taught it so far? Uh, unfortunately, only one. It was my first last semester teaching it. Um, the second semester I offered it, it had to be moved to a uh, night slot. And I didn't get enough people into it because uh, here the night course is you have to pay cash out of pocket up front. And, and so it kind of um, didn't fill up. And then, you know, we hired uh, a professor of East Asia. So it, it can't double up, uh, even though, you know, uh, I'm the one who teaches uh, Japan. The slots are filled up with like China and, you know, uh, mainland, like Korea, Vietnam. Uh, but I offered it to a, another college, and I'm in the talks right now to actually teach teach it in Tokyo, taking our students here and bringing them to Tokyo and teaching it. That would be cool. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, so as you were going through teaching the course, uh, did you get any? What, what sort of like insane questions did you get? Did you get a lot of the? Uh ninja stuff or were they kind of did they have a kind of an idea of what was actually going on or well um, no that's a good question um they were very open about the ideas and there wasn't a lot of misconception uh misconceptions i mean first and foremost uh, on my syllabus i really laid it on thick uh so i had you know a section that discussed um, first of all, no, no ninja. Uh, uh, there's no, I have like a strict no ninja policy. <laughs> um, and in terms of like the misconceptions, 
you know, uh, the Bushido, uh, what, what do you guys call it, Bullshido? I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the ninja, the Bullshido, uh, you know, no parent, all that stuff. I mean, uh, to paraphrase, you know, The Walking Dead, I'd shut that shit down. Like, <laughs> you know, so really out the, out the bat, and we spent the first class really discussing that, sort of the misconceptions of um, Japanese history, sort of the romanticizing of it, uh, J- uh, Japanese history and pop culture. So I think right around that time, so it was 2014, I taught the class. I think 47 Ronin had just come out. So really, we discussed that. And a lot of the students were into anime and video games. So we kind of uh, confronted that the first day. So really, they spent the rest of the class very open-minded about it and really learned to stay away from, you know, sort of those evils that we deal with. Um, You know, I even had a section that discuss the names that, uh, you know, that we are not going to anglicize the name order just for our convenience, that we're going to you know, hopefully pronounce the names correctly and do word order uh, as it would have probably been, uh, you know, in, in like the 1500s. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like I said, we, we, con- we confronted that the first day. So I really didn't get a lot of problems uh, and uh, no, no parent, uh, you know, points. <laughs> yeah, probably probably good to get all that out of the way up front because I could see how that would cause annoyances yeah, down the road. Yeah, definitely, or uh, confronting it in a paper, uh, an essay paper. And you know, I had them do assignments throughout the semester. So one of the ones was they sort of had to do a journal, a reflection journal, each section, and reflect on the material. And talk about that, and I thought that was very important. Um, and uh, you know, I got a lot of good questions from students, um, some hard-hitting questions. So it really meant that they were doing the readings, and that they were um, kind of thinking about this critically. Which, um, you know, Japanese history—it's a, a, a piece of history that one we don't know. Uh, as Americans, we don't know a lot about. And two is romanticized to death. It seems like the only uh, area of history that doesn't get peer reviewed that well. It, you know, because Barnes and Nobles comes out with these books like left and right. Oh, yeah, like, definitely. It's like, how would you get away with that? Uh, you know, if you did that with the American Revolution, like people, uh, experts would be jumping all over you. Yeah. And so. Um, but they had some amazing questions. I think the one that me the best, we were covering right around the uh, rise of the shogunate. And somebody simply asked, why didn't the shogun just, you know, whack the emperor and take over completely? And, and so instead of like telling the answer, I had them go back through Paul Friday's work and, you know, talk about. Uh, Shintoism and Buddhism, and this idea that you know they're the descendant of the sun god, and uh, sort of these sort of hardcore religious ideologies, and how uh, you know as pragmatic as you might be, you still kind of are confronted with this strange reality that you know that person's descended from the sun god. You can't uh, kill them. You can only, in a way, manipulate them, if anything. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but, uh, you know, the, the structure is already in place. If you tear down the structure, it's going to be an extreme pain in the ass to try to build something new that people would actually be willing right, to Right, right, right. Um, because you have this uh, imperial structure that's been around for like hundreds of years, um, you know, not thousands, like they said in The Last Samurai, but, you know, hundreds. And, you know, you're not going to make a, a civilization from scratch. There's, there's no way. So it's just easier to work within the system you got and um, you know i think even nobunaga figured that one out that and we'll just work within the system and you know keep it up yeah although who knows maybe i had in his mind it's someday to take it to to put in his own system but he didn't quite make it right right we'll never know uh 
But yeah, I think that was like one of the most amazing questions and you, you definitely wouldn't see it like on the History Channel comments. Um, so really that was another way I assessed it is the type of questions I, I received and the commentary. It was very, uh, they were thinking about it very critically and which is always a good feeling. And Well, it's a good sign too because it means that you're actually, uh, you've actually got quality material. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, speaking of which, Kagamusha, I mean, this is a funny story. So we were watching Kagamusha in class and it was like in two parts. We had to do it in uh, two parts. And we were running right towards the end, you know, Battle of Nagashino. And, you know, spoiler alert, that uh, Takeda are getting massacred. Um, for those who didn't see the movie. Um, yeah, if you missed the news 400 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, spoiler alert, the Takeda lose. Um and, you know, we had to go. There was, like, uh, class was over, and I don't like to keep people late. And so I shut it kind of down, and I'm like, okay, we got to go. They, the, the students literally like, no, we have to see the end of what happens. Because it's, you know, right before the Kagamusha, uh, you, you know, uh, kind of runs out and, um, after Katsuyori is, is, you know, shut down. And so I'm like, okay, we'll stay. And we stayed, like, the extra 10 minutes after class to finish it. And, you know, like I said, that's a good feeling. It means that you, that was a good pick for a film, that if students in 2014 want to watch a subtitled 1980s Akira Kurosawa film, that, you know, uh, it was a good pick. And, and you know, same with Gates, uh, Gates of Hell, that was well-received by my students. Yeah, it's actually one I haven't seen. I thought it was uh, really good, and it's one of the shorter you know, one of the shorter Jedi Gekis, because uh, I think it only clocked in in about an hour and a half. So, uh, and, and, you know, I was, like, kicking around movie ideas. I'm like, do I do, uh, you know, samurai banners? Do I do, you know, what do I do? Seven samurai? And it's like, no, we're going to do you know, Gates of Hell Kagamusha. That's what we're going to go for. And, you know, there's uh, hundreds of, uh, you know, hundreds of movies that you could even pick, hundreds of books. And I think the combination was just perfect. I think it just fell together uh, perfectly, which uh, is rare, I think. So what sort of uh, challenges did you come across teaching the class? Uh, Probably my own weaknesses in the material. Uh, You know, I have Muramachi, Sengoku Jidai, like early Edo period down pack. That's, you know, my area of interest. Uh, pre-modern was difficult for me. Um, so it's, it was like I have to le- relearn it from scratch. And really, early Hayden period was a weakness. So it's how do I create a presentation that is uh, competent? And, how, you know, the fear of will I be able to answer questions that come up? And, and so in a way... I think that was challenging is just the material coming up with, you know, enough material to talk about pre-modern Japan. I mean, you can do the Yoyoi period in like one day or even less than that. Um, yeah. So uh, that's where like Gina Barnes, like I said, came in. Um, I read a lot of her work. And so it was, you know, taking from May to early September to sort of self-teach myself this uh, to kind of strengthen my understanding. And uh, I think that was really the only challenge. And then, of course, creating a lecture that is, you know, in general, competent, but also not boring and that students will be engaged with. And, you know, uh, discussions is always the difficult thing. That's sort of uh, where my fears are, is that my students would hate the lectures and never come to another one uh, again. It sounds like that wasn't an issue, though. No, no. Um, like I said, the students were really engaged um, with the material, so much so um, after the class ended, uh, actually, I think it was the end of last year, uh, I get an email from Carl Friday's publisher. Uh, was it West, uh, Westview Press? Um, so they're doing a new uh, edition of Japan Emergent. And 
They're like, well, we know you used it for your class. You issued something like 60 copies. Um, would you like to give us notes on what you think of it and, you know, fill out a questionnaire and for the new edition? And uh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, obviously, yeah. Like, it's not every day that you can sort of give notes to those people that inspire you. You know, Carl Friday, of course, a big inspiration. Um, and one of the questions is, how did your students like the book? And I responded with the truth that many of them, after the class, retained the book. They didn't sell it like most students uh, in college do. They, they, you know, they wait for the semester. They go try and sell the book for money. Um, many, students, uh, many of my students retained the book. They kept the copy of Japan Emerging. And they were starting to use it for other classes because they would have to write papers on things like empire or uh, military leadership. And they would go back into that book and use it. And uh, so I heard that from colleagues of mine. It's like, you know, your students are like, using your stuff still. like in classes. And I'm like, so I, I obviously wrote that down in the questionnaire. Uh, and I got an email back from the editor. And it's like, that is really the first time we've heard that students are still t keeping the books and using them. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I guess another win. Uh, we'll call that a win. So I think, yeah, the material uh, really fit into this and did a good job. And it was stuff that definitely got rid of the misconceptions and uh, the, the sort of romanticism that's uh, on the samurai romance mm -hmm. so uh, here's a here's a question for you so if you were uh, an undergraduate student who was going to take a japanese history class a as a student what should you expect from the class um well i think it depends on level so you know my students were all upper level so by then they already had a number of uh you know they're upper level undergrads that's uh, uh mostly juniors and seniors so they had a fair number of uh, general history courses, but then also the special topics and the electives. So I think at that level, there's an expectation uh, the material has a deeper meaning than, say, if you're taking a survey course. Uh, so I think you're going to look for deeper meaning in it. You're going to look for um, pedagogy to not only sort of the, the facts about Japanese history, but how can we learn it? How can we teach it? because many of those students are probably going to go on to teach. Uh, if they don't go into a graduate program, they're probably going to teach public schooling or at museums. So they're going to want to learn how to teach this material. And so I think they're going to look for that. Um, the lower class, uh, you know, the lower level students, the freshman, sophomore, I think they want more in terms of information in a way that they want to learn the subject matter, if anything. Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. So basically, yeah, the upper grad or the uh, the juniors and seniors have already had their core courses, and they're getting into the more specific things. Whereas the uh, freshmen, sophomores, they're still in the survey type classes. So that makes sense. And then you know the juniors and seniors here, they have to take a, a, a one semester course on how to be a historian. So they've already took that before they took my class. So they're approaching it like historians, not you know, you know not like. Uh, wide-eyed freshmen who are being thrown names and dates at this point. Um, so approaching it, I think, differently because uh, they actually have a historian's tool set when approaching this. And so I try to foster that. Uh, so, you know, of course, a research paper. They, you know, they had to do sort of an original research paper using secondary sources, you know, because we have a small problem with primary sources here in the United States. Right. Yeah. There's not a lot translated. Yeah. So, um, you know, they had to do a final research paper and approach that like a historian. And, um, so they had to deal with that. They had to be confronted with that. They had to be uh, confronted with uh, critical thinking essay questions, uh, you know, the really hard hitting stuff. Uh, you know, they had to uh, discuss the, you know, the economics of, the medieval period, basically. So they had to explain, you know, Koku, if anything. So, or even the legal reforms. Uh, 
Um, so it's pretty cool thinking about that. So, uh, so that was sort of the way they approached it. They approached it as historians. Um, and so, yeah, if I was a student, that's how I would do it. But, you know, I've been a historian. So. And I mean, uh, the last class too, I mean, just to talk about it, we did look at sort of pop culture. Oh, okay. Actually, that's something that I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, the first class, you know, we dealt with the misconceptions, but then, you know, we kind of used the last class as like pop culture in history. Um, you know, how can you teach that using pop culture? And I mean, a lot of my students uh, relied on like, uh, was it Samurai Warriors? As, as sort of a way to teach them about that period. And so they had a basic understanding of who some of these characters are. But then also, like I said, I applied uh, the podcaster. They had to listen to an episode about Oda Nobunaga. And so what was the feedback like on that? <laughs> oh, they kind of great. Um, you know, of course, they thought, you know, Nobunaga was a horrible person, a horrible human being. But really, they, they enjoyed the podcast because, you know, history, uh, I think it taught them that history is just more about uh, more than books and, uh, and that we can... You know, as much as we, we make fun of pop culture, we can use it to teach in, in, in a way. And so they did get the podcast. They did get, uh, we did talk about video games the last week. We talked about movies and, you know, sort of the allegories behind them. Uh, you know, like Chusingura, you know, it's World War II uh, propaganda. Uh, and so that brought up this sort of pop culture about, you know, Bullshito. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we did knock the Hagakuri in that class. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we did apply this pop culture stuff. And, you so know, did you talk about uh, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai? <laughs> uh, they've never seen it. Terrible movie. Uh, very terrible. Um, I did tell them, they're like, well, do you hate Last Samurai? And I'm like, no, that's a guilty pleasure. I like that, that movie. I do. Um, you know, so what if it's um, Dances with Wolves in Japan? But, um, you know, we can say Avatar's uh, Last Samurai in Space. But... Right. Good point. So uh, I told them that was a guilty pleasure. But, um, yeah, we were discussing that just how much uh, this romanticism just seeped into our, you know, our pop culture. Um, I just saw that the, the archives posted that article today about the, the ninja school in Japan. Oh, right, right. That. Or, um, you know, just being being uh, confronted and, you know, how, uh, like I said, Bushido making its way into our pop culture. And so how, how do we analyze that as historians? Like, where did this uh, come from? And uh, surprisingly, a lot of people thought you know, believed uh, that was one issue with the students. They did bring up Bushido, like, as well, this has been around for a while. And it's like, well, no, it, it hasn't. Here's, you know, what happened. You know, we're, uh, you have samurai not fighting any wars. How do you justify your existence? Right, exactly. You know, how do you keep getting that stipend uh, going? Uh, you know, you don't want to lose the stipend ever. Uh, so, yeah, we did look at pop culture. Um, you know, which I think a lot of people wouldn't associate with history, but um, we really did look at that. Um, and we talked a lot of stuff about movies and video games and books and, um, you know, things like that. Well, yeah, especially when you look at uh, just history in general, or I guess the, the, you know, you have like the Civil War historians and you have Roman historians. And I think for, for whatever reason, uh, Japanese history has been more tied to popular culture than pretty much any other, uh, I don't know, historical area or era. Um, yeah, I would, I would, and it's a strange phenomenon. I, I, I think in, in part of, in part, it's Japan is basically trying to sell itself like, uh, hey, we're still relevant. Come over and visit us and give us your money and buy our products and watch our anime. And, you know, I think that might be part of it. In a way, yeah, they sort of... Um commercialize their own history exactly exactly um because i mean if you go down uh to italy uh, especially you know now, now that the ides of march are coming on uh, you know the italian government encourages 
people who reenact, uh, you know, the Roman Republic to go out and, you know, recreate the Ides of March for, like, tourists. But I think, really, the Japanese, like, jumped, you know, on this sort of let's uh, commercialize our own history and um, sort of make it marketable in a way. And I think it's kind of um, unique. I mean, the United States, we sort of do that regionally. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in New England. Um, you know, we totally market the American Revolution. Um, absolutely market that. And then you go down south into like the Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, they're marketing the, the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, I grew, I grew up in New England, and, and every summer there was the uh, the French and Indian Wars uh, recreations and all that, which was always fascinating. Yeah, and then um, now that you're in Hawaii, I think uh, it's mostly, I don't know, I think it's just Comic-Con at that point. Sort of... <laughs> well, in Hawaii, it's a lot of cultural cultural things, hula and this and that, but... Yeah, I mean, going back to the 1950s Hawaii, I mean, they brought on sort of this hula culture to, you know, get tourists to give their money. I mean, so sort of merchant. So I think we do have it, but not as strong as Japan. I mean, we don't have as many video games uh, about certain periods in our, our time. Like, if we had to compare japan to america like who produces more video games about their historical periods i think it would be japan probably yeah i mean aside from maybe the civil war although i guess haven't been all that many civil war games in in recently no i think the 80s and 90s was the 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 big one but i mean how many nobunaga's ambitions have come out now a million yeah you know we have that coming out uh you know uh we saw Shogun Shogun 2 come out recently for PC. And just the, the I think the number of video games, uh, and even just anime, I mean, you know, we got Ninja Scroll, the TV series, we got uh, uh, whatever, like uh, all these anime set in that period. Um, I forgot what that famous one with Nobunaga was, but, you know, uh, they're really, I think, kind of doing that. And that's why. Uh, pop culture and history are sort of meshing um, together for them, where we have a much, I, I think, a bigger distinction where you know, you can show I would say uh, some Jidai Gekis and, and discuss history, but I don't think you can show like the Patriot in class and try to discuss history from that perspective. Yeah, that's uh, the, the samurai are a little more compelling, but also there's enough, uh, it's, it's far enough back in, in history that uh, there's a lot of room for artistic license. Oh, yeah. Whereas with uh, the U.S. Civil War, there's, there's not a lot of room for artistic license. No, no, and if, you know, to do so would be sacrilege. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. At least in some people's eyes. Yeah, because if you did, like, a, a version of, you know, do a Civil War movie in sort of the style of the, uh, you know, 47 Ronin, it, it would probably be considered sacrilege. So, you know, why is stuff like 300 or 47 Ronin or, um, you know, I had uh, some students, you know, ask me if I watched uh, 13 Assassins, you know, and it's like, of course, it's, you know, it's Takashi Miyake, like, uh, you know, we have to watch that. And, so, yeah, it's like, why is it okay to do these, but then not okay to do movies that style? Um, and I think, yeah, it's because they're so far back, so far removed, I think, from our own history that um, it is okay. And, you know, we're still being confronted with it, and I think the average person really gets their history from it. Because um, There was an article the other day talking about the 47 Ronin, and everyone was jumping on that, you know, it was an honorable, you know, bandwagon that they were uh, avenging their Lord. And, you know, the new history to come out is painting a totally different uh, picture of that, that we're seeing it. And uh, the whole thing with, uh, was it Yasuke? Uh, I saw another article about Yasuke. And oh, right. It's like, where are we on that one? Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know what the uh, the consensus is. Was Yasuke a samurai or was he a servant, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Yeah, that's the way it's still like going on. And everyone, uh, the recent article painted him as he was a samurai. And it's like, well, you know, is he or is he not? But, you know, uh, or, or what was the tagline? Oh, the real Afro samurai? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that we're referring back to the uh, Samuel L. Jackson character. And referring back to that. So we are looking at pop culture for uh, our history. Much in the way, um, was it the History Channel, I think? They, they were talking about the history of the ninja uh, with Stephen Hayes. And I don't know if you saw it. It was the one where he was competing against a SWAT team to, to deal with a hostage situation. Um, wow. I don't think I saw that. I'll, I'll have to find that one uh, for you. But um, it was just... A lot of people, uh, I'm sure, saw that ep- uh, that episode on the History Channel, and they uh, automatically, you know, took it as history. That's you know where they got um, their history, you know. And this was uh, the early, I think, 2000s, right when they got away from being history, like the post uh, Peter Weller Engineering and Empire History Channel. And, and I think that's where a lot of uh, the people we're drawing, uh, you know, their history from. And so, uh, you know, we had to discuss this in terms of pop culture, that this is, you got to separate the history from, you know, the story in a way. And, and I always uh, think about it because my students are amazed. I have like this pop culture uh, encyclopedia in my mind. And, and so I, I can make a number of pop culture references to them. Uh, I've applied it to their own lives. So many of them did play video games and watch anime, and I applied it to that and used it sort of as these teaching moments in a way. Yeah, actually, I guess that would be one of my uh, questions: is as as uh, someone teaching Japanese history, would do you what 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 is your opinion on on the pop culture aspect, even even with with the uh, sort of the crazy like ninja stuff and all the sort of it's kind of the ridic- ridiculousness that's mixed in there? What's your opinion on that when it comes to having to deal with it when you're teaching students? Um, and, and I mean, you know me, I, I'm a huge pop culture uh, guy. I mean, what my icon for the last going on like 20 years was, um, you know, Kakihara. I always go for Kakihara um, as my icon. And so I love pop culture and I try to address it in a way that's not, well, you know, you're stupid or ignorant for enjoying pop culture. But how can we turn uh, what you know about pop culture? Like I said, how can I teach you something using something you enjoy? I can make negative critiques about, say, like I said, the 47 Ronin. Uh, what did you write in that blog article? That was great. That um, Keanu Reeves' attempt at stoicism comes off as being constipated. <laughs> I think uh, I forgot if you wrote that. Uh, I don't remember. It was there was we've got a few writers on the blog, so. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, I can critique that movie negatively, but you know, I'm not going to critique a student negatively for enjoying the movie. I'd be surprised if anyone really enjoyed that movie, though. That was a terrible movie. It was. I mean, that doesn't even fall into a guilty pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I have no, I have no problem with where, whatever direction they decide to go with. Japanese history or this or that or representing it or misrepresenting it. I just thought it was a bad movie. Right, right. I mean, they could have done... Um, uh, I want to say they could have done worse, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much worse they could have done. <laughs> yeah, that, that was just horrible. And I mean, I don't, I don't think um, students of mine watched it, but I wouldn't fault them for watching it. And I would attempt you know, to use it as, as like a teaching moment in a way. Uh, much like many of them did play Samurai Warriors. Yeah. Somebody would be like, well, video games are stupid. But it's like, no, how can I use this to teach you uh, something? Uh, how can I uh, explain a concept using this? Because I think students uh, tend to gravitate it towards uh, pretty well that if you can apply it to stuff that interests them, um, yeah, if, if, I mean, if it kind of engenders an interest in Japanese history, hey, well, at least there's that. 
Right, and I mean, how many of us were interested because of Shogun? Pretty much everyone in our age bracket, I would say. Yeah, um, because I, I would say if somebody asked me, well, what made you interested? And, and, and I can remember it vividly. I was like 13 years old and I was in school and, you know, the, the teacher at the time showed, uh, played Shogun for us, the hour and a half version, not the six hour miniseries, but the hour and a half version. And I remember almost immediately, like I was hooked on that. Uh, coincidentally, that same teacher now works with me at the college. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's pretty. So I brought that up to him. I'm like, yeah, I remember when I was 13 and you played Shogun for us, and you know that really started it off. And so uh, by the time I was like, I think 17, 18, um, you know, I had joined the Samurai Archive, started writing, and, and you know, definitely it picked up when I was in college. Uh, I, I sort of centered some of my earlier studies on that, and so yeah, I wouldn't, you know, if it could inspire somebody to learn history i'm not going to fault them for it at all uh, definitely not. Uh, but i will fault them you know the material that they might be looking at um, yeah uh, i'll negatively I'll, I'll make a negative review about that but i won't review the person negatively i guess that's the, uh, the best way to say it because i have a number of video game designers uh my students are in a major for designing video games so a lot of them uh, play, you know, like the Assassin's Creed games, mm-hmm. and where a lot of them get their initial experience dealing with stuff like the Crusades or the American Revolution or uh, piracy. That's sort of the first time they're or they encounter this material. Or if a student is interested in, you know, other parts of history because of movies, you know, I think we need to really. Uh, treat them poorly about it. I mean, so long as they realize it is entertainment and they should now springboard into much more solid academic work. Kind of like myself, I have to separate my job from my entertainment. Um, you know, uh, Because I can't go into a historically based movie and nitpick it to death. Otherwise, I'm going to have a miserable you know, time. It's the same. I know you brought up you, you know you brought up Logan. I mean, imagine sitting through that comic book movie, nitpicking every plot detail. It's the same. It's like a historical movie. Um, you know, I should be able to sit down and enjoy Lone Wolf and Cub without having to, you know, be like, well, that's highly inaccurate. That never happened to her. Um, in a way. Yeah, that was kind of the thing with the the Last Samurai. Some people were like, "Oh, well, it's so you know, this didn't happen, and it's so this and that." But I don't know. As far as movies go, I thought it was a good movie, and I was fine oh, yeah. with that. It was very well done. Um, I'll watch it again. Yeah. Um, it, it's streaming on Netflix right now. In fact, you know, um, one of the few, I think, movies set in Japan that had a Japanese cast. So I give. Uh, yeah, you know, probably Mark one of the only TV. ones. Yeah. From yeah, Martin Scorsese just did Silence with at least a Japanese cast. Yeah, but, it was you know, filmed in Taiwan, I think, but yeah. <laughs> yeah but compared to, like, Memoirs of a Geisha or... Uh, Which was, oh, that was terrible. Yeah, also terrible. And I, I don't think the book was very good either. Yeah, I read um, the book. I wasn't impressed. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I give The Last Samurai big props for at least having an all-Japanese cast, you know, minus the, the American characters, but at least their Japanese characters were Japanese. Um, and at least Martin Scorsese did that with uh, Silence. And you know, like I said, yeah, Last Samurai is up there uh, for me in terms of pop culture. Um, and, yeah, and, I don't know if anything's coming. Uh, I, I kind of feel like the uh, Keanu Reeves 47 Ronin kind of killed the entire idea of, of Japanese movies. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything on the slate. And even Japan, it seems to have kind of. It seems that we're back into the kaiju scene. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like it comes in like these cycles. Yeah, um, less samurai, more Godzilla. Right, right, and and it's interesting um, that the historical samurai movies tend to do better in Japan than historical movies do here, um, unless, of course, they're you know highly romanticized 
Yeah, big budget. Uh, yeah, like Gladiator yeah. type thing. Yeah, it has to be like Gladiator, Braveheart, or you know, Last uh, Samurai to do well. Um, I saw a couple on Netflix that were complete duds, and you know because they were completely historically accurate, and it's like nobody cared. You know, there's uh, a reason for that. And it seems like Japan, their historical movies tend to do a lot better. I think over uh, over there. Yeah, I'll be kind of curious to see how things go, though. The Taiga dramas have been failing miserably for the past few years. Oh, um, see, I haven't... Uh, I think the last one I saw was... God, it was, like, in the early 2000s. can't remember which one it was. Yeah, I think that was the last one I saw. But... Yeah, they've been... Apparently, the, the ratings are going down. Because I, I guess they've been trying to pander to, uh, I don't know, housewives and people who like boy bands, because they, I guess they fill all the roles with boy bands nowadays. And it's just... Uh, yeah, uh, Lewis and Kenshin. Did they... Uh, was that in the Taiga where they had Gak... He played uh, in Uesugi Kenshin. Uh, well, he played Uesugi Kenshin. I think that was... Uh, oh. Uh, yeah. That one. Oh, yeah. So that was... I don't remember the name of that one. But yeah, I think that... I think that might have been pretty good. I'd, <laughs> it's been a while. Um, yeah, because I still have uh, the music video for that one somewhere. Because I play, I play Gakuto's uh, Returner in class when we were talking about pop culture, that he was using the uh, armor and that from the production. All right. And, yeah, it's amazing. I didn't realize that they were going um, uh, downhill. And, I mean, it's... Yeah, which is too bad, because for people who, listeners who don't know, basically every year Japan puts together a 50-episode historical drama that runs from January to December. And uh, they've been doing it for, God, I don't even know, what, 50 years now, I guess, something like that? Oh, yeah. They used to be really good. The '90s, I think, were the heyday, at least in my opinion. But re- more recently, it's just been kind of going downhill, from what I from what I hear. And I haven't really watched. I think the last one I watched was Komio Gatsuji back in the early 2000s. I think it was that one that I saw the last time. Uh, but the History Channel could learn a lot from NHK because they had, you know, every couple of years they'll have like the miniseries, uh, like these historical miniseries. So they had like the Hatfields and McCoys, and then. They did another one, and they're pretty good, I think so. And like, why don't you do one every year? You know, like the NHK. Yeah, it doesn't need to be fifty episodes, but you know. Um, yeah, because I don't even think we have a single television series in America that's fifty episodes. Yeah, not a not a miniseries anyway. It's, if it hits fifty episodes, it's just because they keep renewing it over and over again. Oh yeah, that's like a new season. Um, I think. I think like 25 is our, our point of uh, tolerance per season. Um, you know, our miniseries are usually between 8 and 12 episodes. But, uh, and I mean, the funny thing is, uh, bringing up uh, Japan, so uh, I did have a student, uh, I just I just remember the story, he was uh, pretty much doing a study abroad, he was going to go over to Tokyo. And, you know, he's asking me all these, you know, for advice. And I told him, because he was a nice kid, a very nice kid, really kind of innocent. So I told him to stay out of, like, Shibuya and Shinjuku. And, uh, you know, I think I was talking to Lonnie online that same night, uh, talking about Tokyo and that. And it's kind of like, well, we can go to Shibuya and Shinjuku. And I'm like, yeah, of course. You know, because I'm not going to send students places, but I'll gladly, you know, go have sake in Shibuya. So uh, that was sort of like one of those interesting conversations to come out of it. And, and that's why I'm hoping uh, they'll okay for this class in Tokyo so that can, you know, do Western and culture in and be able to see the Nintendo headquarters. Um, uh, pretty cool. Um so that, that, that's my hope, is that we can do it in Japan um, and then maybe catch some of the Tiger dramas. Um, or pick up some DVDs, because I still don't think we can get uh, Survive Style 5 Plus here. I don't think that's available in the U.S., so I'm going to pick up a copy. Uh, yeah, and I, it's funny how a lot more people watch the really obscure stuff. So they were... Uh, a lot of students I had, uh, like I said, they watched 13 Assassins, which was really good. Um, so, yeah, it was like the Dirty Dozen in, in the uh, Edo period Japan. 
Uh, I thought that was a really good one. Uh, when my students saw, caught it on Netflix and they're like, did you see this? And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, because you could you could kind of do those uh, made-up stories of the Edo period because it's, uh, again, it's, it's, it's sort of a wide-open period that you can just kind of fit stories in there as you will. But, uh, you know, in the West, we can't really do that, like we said, with the Civil War, this and that. So, you know, there is that advantage that they have that they can kind of put together any type of story they really want. They could basically take a, a Western, the concept of a Western, and put it in the Edo period. Oh, yeah. Or, or um, however they want to do it. Sukiyaki Western Django. Yeah, that was an odd one. It was definitely an odd one, and I don't know if I hate it or love it. I haven't decided that. Yeah, uh, I kind of wish it was in Japanese rather than kind of like poor English, but... Oh, yeah. But just... Um, yeah, just, I mean, the fact, though, that they did the opening um, uh, with the uh, Heike Monotakari, uh, just with Quentin Tarantino doing it, uh, fabulous. But I think, yeah, that's uh, an interesting point um, that we, uh, with Japanese history, you can just make up whatever story you want in context to the Edo period and nobody will care. Um, yeah, and it also se- it also works, too. Yeah, um, and nobody will bat an eye, uh, especially nobody uh, in the U.S., because um, it's like, we don't know. Um, maybe it is true, um, because it's just uh, one of those countries and historical periods that we don't know a lot about. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier on in the podcast, uh, Barnes & Noble will print whatever book about Japanese history that makes money, whereas other periods in time, uh, they seem to go through a much more stricter uh, peer review process in a way, I guess. So it's just a weird situation, I think. And, and uh, Because you go into your local Barnes & Nobles, you're not going to see uh, Willie Wayne Ferris. You're not going to see Carl Friday. You're not going to see um, uh, maybe a little Thomas Conlon. But, you know, who's on the shelf mostly? Yeah, like really weird random... Japanese history books, probably like self-published, I guess. I'm not really sure. It's not really clear to me. Yeah, and then, you know, three copies of the Hagakuri. Uh, and then the rest is like World War II midway. Um, so, and I mean, you know, at least, you know, George Sampson is, um, you know, might be outdated, but, you know, at least read him. Just at the least read him. Uh, or some of the Osprey titles, I guess, are pretty good. I think that's really the most accessible works is the Osprey that we have. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty straightforward. Yeah, because everything else seems to be a university press, if anything. Right. And that's kind of a weird situation, too, I guess. Um, Yeah, there's not a lot of accessible books, I guess you could say, for... uh, for a- a- average readers, people just kind of interested in getting started. Right, right. Um, or even the coffee table books that, you know, you read it, well, flip through it, and then just kind of put it down. Um, so it's interesting to see what comes out. You know, I'm waiting for Japan Emerging, the new edition to come out, uh, because they want to talk more about currency and economics. And, you know, the the uh, I don't know if it's a bad thing that I got excited by that or... Um, you know, not, um, you know, and that's another challenge too. When you're designing a class, do you talk about the military? Do you talk about the social? Do you talk about economics? How do you fit it all in? You know, and some professors they only like to talk about the military stuff. Some professors only like to talk about the political. You know, how do you get enough for everybody? Um, and you know, uh, the age we live in, you have to talk about things like gender and. Uh, status and those type of things. You have to kind of incorporate everything into it. Um, and, you know, the Haim period is like a great place to start with uh, gender and uh, religion and things like that. Um, so that's, yeah, another challenge too in our lives. How do we incorporate all this material? How do we challenge ourselves to think about it? Um, so. so if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, uh, is there a, a way they could do that? Uh, yeah, they can get me from email. Uh, it's mbaker4 
and that's at Worcester, W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R dot E-D-U. And I am on Facebook. Okay. Well, I guess uh, in that case, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. All right. All right, and that's it for another episode of the Samurai Archives podcast. Please remember to head over to patreon.com slash samurai archives to help support us. And many thanks to those of you who have already thrown your money behind this endeavor. And uh, by the way, I'm trying to campaign for 100 iTunes reviews by the end of the year. Not an unreasonable goal. As of the recording of this podcast, or at least the recording of this outro, I guess that's the opposite of intro, we're about 29 away from that goal. So help me reach that goal of 100 reviews by heading over to iTunes and giving us a review. And lastly, head over to SamuraiPodcast.com for all the links for everything you'll ever need in regards to this podcast. So, that's it for now. Thanks. <laughs>